1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network podcast. I am Deidre Tyler. Today, we'll be talking with Miss David, author of Trailblazers, Black Women Who Help Make America Great, America's First, American Icons, Volume 1. How are you doing today, Miss David?
1: Oh, I'm doing just great, Deidre. How are you? Great. I wonder
0: if you could tell the audience something about yourself and how you became interested in this great project.
1: Wow. Well, I'm considered, I guess, a multidisciplinary artist. You know, I was, I was blessed. My mother um, really um, put us to task to deal with all different aspects of the art. So I took, you know, private piano lessons. I played instruments, I, you know, was in local dance companies. Um, um, But the main thing that I did in the beginning in the fourth grade was writing, writing poetry, publishing a class newsletter. Um, And so I grew up um, publishing independently since then. Um, And that went segued into college, doing some independent stuff and working on the college newspaper a little bit. And then, you know, creating my own newsletters and then creating a literary magazine, Fatitude Literary Magazine. And then I decided I wanted to start a publishing company. And, I, and that is Two Leaf Press. So, um, you know, when you're a small press and independent press um, and you're dealing with diversity and inclusiveness, you know, you can't you have to be careful who you partner with because, you know, they, they have, you know, capitalistic ideas of what needs to be done. And um, so I've kind of stayed away from that lane so that we could remain independent. But of course, we financially struggle. And I was just really so upset about uh, the, the person that became president of the United States. I'm from New York, so I knew who he was and what he was and couldn't understand how he could get into office. Um, and then all these negative things that were being said about brown and black people, uh, immigrants, Black people, Indigenous people—you know, people who come from quote shithole countries—that kind of a thing—and really talking uh, down on women, particularly Black women in particular. And um, and from that, I, I was thinking I needed to write. I need a book that can make money. I need a book that's going to be meaningful. If I have to write it, what would it be? Because I couldn't get people to think about writing a book that would do service for readers you know writers are very uh prickly you know they write and then they're like well you have to come to me and i needed to create a book where i could go to the readers the other way around a lot of writers don't write that way they write for themselves um and then the idea came about uh, this whole thing about make america great and um Which, when we all heard, you know, make America great again, we all knew what that implied. So I took that negative into a positive, Black women whom helped make America great, Black women, you know, and that's where the idea of trailblazers, you know, came about. The idea of the term trailblazers is not new and people use it all the time, but I thought it would be interesting to tie that together with um, reversing uh, the negativity behind the greatness of America. To, to mean one thing, which is, you know, we want to make America great again, meaning that we want it to be white again, which it never was, because this is Indian country. We live in indigenous lands, all right? So this country was never white to begin with. But the idea that a lot of white people have about America's greatness is tied into this white Christian um, ideology. Um, it needs to be, after all this time, you know, several hundred years later needed to be, needs to be addressed. But at the same time, I wanted, instead of addressing it directly, I wanted to um, highlight what black women have done and what black women are doing. And so that's how the project began.
0: Now you divided it into three separate levels. Tell us about those three and why did you decide on those three?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> it's kind of interesting because um, I was just gonna write one book. It was gonna be a book and, and you know, I thought about in putting the book, the book together, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about um, how do I organize this material so that it makes sense to the reader? And so, you know, there, there are a number of books that have been published that talk about, you know, black women, black, uh, uh, black, um biographical books that have been done um in the past. Um but I wanted to do something different. First I didn't want to write it in academies. I wanted to, to write it on a level that um that is sophisticated but easy easy for people to, to understand. Um, and 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 that part of it is trying to organize the book. How do you take this information and organize it you know most of the other books what they do is they do an a through z they just list all the biographies by last name i wanted to section it off because i wanted to show a concentration uh, of an example of, of each area of expertise that black women have achieved so that's where the sections came in but then The book was getting bigger and bigger because as I was going along, I was discovering all these gems, all these black women, some I've never even, many of them I never even heard of. And so the book ended up staying layered with the sections, but I also decided, well, if I write an introduction to each section, I can talk about the women that I can't feature. And then I have an example of the featured women. And the book was like 800 pages. And... There were too many sections that, you know, well, do I leave out sections? Do I keep sections in? So I use the concept of creating the sections and creating an introduction to each section. So you get a full history of Black women. For the first volume, it's activists, dancers, and athletes. So when you go to each section, like the activist section is a history of Black women activists from slavery to the present. And the same thing for dancers, slavery to the present. And the same thing for sports, the history of how Black women have participated in these areas. And then I have uh, featured biographies that follow because I can't do a biography on everybody. So that's how that came about. It, it was like it became more complex. The dis- decision to do that was complex, but I, I was able to streamline it so that it worked. But then my board members said, you know, you can't do an 800 page book. <laughs> Make two volumes. Still didn't have enough space. I had academics reviewing the introductions to each section, and I had cut a lot of stuff out. And they said, Well, if you're gonna do this, you need to put keep all the stuff in. So then it went from one volume to two volumes to four volumes and now to the final six. So that's that's but I think that I think from from hearing what people have to say about the book. They like the sections. I mean, how did you feel when you read the book? Did you feel that the sections, the way it's divided, was helpful in your understanding of these women um, that we're talking about? The reason
0: why I asked you about the sections, I thought it was amazing. Because really? I, could look at, <laughs> I could look at activism, and then I could go to dance, and then I could go to sports. So tell us more about the activists. Who, who were some of the gems that you found? Because it was so much. I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, the gems! Um, Well, the uh, interesting story is that you know the book starts with Soldier and Truth. There certainly were more. There were black activists prior to Soldier and Truth, but there's not enough information about them. That's the other thing. There are women that have done great things, but the information is lost to us, or there's not a complete story. So that's the other thing. There were women that I wanted to feature in the book, but there was, it would be almost impossible because there's no, um, there's no, the information is, is minimal. Um, so when I initially did Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, I just talked about, oh, you know, they were slaves, but then they were free. And I talk about all that other stuff about the freedom. And then I realized that I was whitewashing the, the slavery part of it. And what people need to, people need to understand the slavery part of it, because those are the two women who were enslaved, they need to to read how these women were beaten, how they were raped, how they were separated from their families, because that's the, the, the slavery part of it is just as important, if not more than what they did after they became free. So those, those two bios were rewritten to expound on that point. Um, The other thing is, is that, you know, for me, and I know this sounds corny, but Rosa Parks is my hero. She's my hero because she's so underestimated. She went through, you know, Black women, if it wasn't for Black women, there would never have been a civil rights movement because Black women were the one behind the scenes doing everything and the men took all the credit for it. And so in order to, to maximize their fame and minimize Black women's input, you know, they, they called her a seamstress. She wasn't a seamstress. She was a tailor. Uh, they said that, you know, she sat down. She didn't want to move because she had tired feet. This was a woman that was an activist for many years, was a member of the NAACP and all these different um, organizations and, w- and was extremely proactive and helped other women who wanted to boycott buses. All right. And so, um, so there's that, you know, and that, I think the thing that I love the most about Rosa Parks is that Rosa Parks was what you would call a race woman. She believed in, it's an old fashioned term. She believed that race comes first. So even though she knew that she was being mistreated or wasn't, you know, treated in the manner in which she did, she deserved to be treated. I mean, she was driven out of her home. She and her husband were in limbo for 10 years. Um, and it was only until much later on that she was able to get a job for um the Congressman in Detroit, that she finally got um, a a job with benefits and whatever have you. I mean, health wise, it destroyed them. And people weren't interested in helping because they were too concerned about how much fame she had, you know? And she never outwardly complained. She kept her grace. She took the hits. And I think that, you know, when you look into the story of Rosa Parks, she really, to me, epitomizes black women as activists. I think she is the true um, icon when it comes to that, you know? So in terms of, you know, if, is she my favorite? She, she, she's the standard bearer, I think. Another person is Fannie Lou Hamer that comes from the other side of it, who was country from Mississippi, all right? Had some education, but not a lot. She was able to read, so she, you know, worked on the family, worked on plantation for years. She knew how to do read, to to do some reading, and because of that, they took her out the fields and let her do bookkeeping. Got mad because when she tried to register to vote, they wouldn't let her register, and that's how um, she organically became involved in in, in voting rights. And um, they made fun of her. The snobbery of the NAACP SLC, all of those organizations, they turned their nose up at her because she was country. You know, she didn't come out wearing diamonds and wearing her hair whipped up. She came out there, you know, to speak. She sang, she sang uh, songs when she, when she spoke uh, hymns uh, to uh, elaborate her point. Um, she, wore, she wore plain clothes. She was a plain woman. You know, she didn't have, you know, tons of makeup on and, and all the rest of that. Um, couturier outfit, she came out there and she spoke her heart. And um, it, it depressed her. Um, and she died, you know, re- relatively young, in the end, because of all the tension and all the all the pressure and, 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 and all the rest of that. So I think that black women don't, one of the things I learned is that black women don't strive to be a first, they don't get out of bed and say, I want to be famous, I want to be a first. And I'm not talking about these little millenniums that go out there and do all this stuff on social media and stuff like that. You know, that you want to be famous? I'm talking about a woman that is denied access to a job. She wants that job. So she's got to fight for it. And then she becomes a first. There are some women who have done that. And then after they've done all they could be in the first, they backed away because they didn't want to, they didn't want the spotlight. Their, their goal was to be able to, to, to have a sip of water from the fountain to uh, be able to attend a school, to be able to get a particular job, to be able to vote, Um, whatever the issue was, that's that's how they became the first. They became a first out of necessity, not because they wanted to be, you know? Um, and, And that's why the activists to me are so interesting.
0: You know, many times people don't see Black women in the environmental justice area, but you focused on several women who are involved can you tell us about those women
1: well one of the things that i tried to do with this um, book is that i didn't want it to be a book about dead people i wanted it to be i wanted it to be a book about what women have done who have passed on and what women are doing now because the issues a lot of the issues are still the same but there are more issues that need to be that have been challenging environmental issues um, LGBTQ issues, um, voting rights issues. Um, so what I what I wanted to do was I wanted to show the the, the people who uh, were the trailblazers who and who blaze and then who blazed the trail so that others could follow. That there was a continuous a continuous. Um, cycle going on of black women out there doing things. And to also remind people that you don't have to be famous. I mean, when I think about these women I think about the women in my life, they're not famous. There's no books written about them but they all did the same thing. They organized, they, they were involved in the neighborhood. Um, if if the woman, one of the women owned, the women that owned the um, hairdresser salon, she was an activist because she let people meet there and people talk. And then you realize as you were growing up that these all these women that you knew in the neighborhood were constantly doing something to contribute to the efforts that the women who became famous doing it um, are doing. So th- there was not, it's not an isolated thing. I think that black women by, you know, by default are activists, because they, we always have to fight for everything. We always have to, we, and we also have to manage everything on top of that. And we always find ourselves trying to make a way out of nowhere. And so I think that that's the universal theme as an activist. I mean, technically my, me writing this book, I guess makes me an activist. You doing this podcast, talking about books and knowledge is, is a sense of, of, of activism. All right. We're, we're always all trying to work hard to do stuff in our communities um, to get the word out, to educate ourselves, to support each other. And that is also a form of, of the activism besides, you know, the stuff that's in the spotlight. I know. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yes, it does. You know, thinking about today with the police killings. What, what do you see black women doing about that?
1: Problem. Oh, I think, I think the problem is, is that, and I know this is not a popular opinion, but I will state it. I think the problems that we have in the black community is our problem that we need to solve. You know, everybody yes. keeps looking for a leader, yes. you know, but nobody wants to be a leader because nobody wants to get shot. All right. So <laughs> you want to lead, but so much, but then, you know, there's a danger. In being a leader, as we witnessed, you know, in the sixties. So I think that there's, I think that there's less, uh, there's, there's more concern about what white people think, more concern about what white people think, mm-hmm. and less concern about what needs to be done. If there are, if young black men are killing each other in our neighborhoods then we need to do something about it we can't yeah. wait for white people to do stuff yeah you know all oh, they should change the laws or oh, they should send more police no we need to do more community service in those neighborhoods we need to do better outreach we need to get there was a time when churches and community centers were the place to go um in the 60s and the 70s because i grew up in that era and that doesn't really exist now you know and it it's you know there's a benefit of dealing with things on a grassroots level because the, the, the term grassroots means that there is no capital there's no capitalism or corporate sponsorship involved um you're doing it because it needs to be done and I think that that's that's the difference I think that we and but black women have always had to do these things black women have always had to manage the family this goes back to slavery when black women were separated from their mates uh they were being raped they were being you know saddled with kids they also had to take care of the the, the plantation owners kids you know and trying to keep their family together when you read when you read the stories of sojourner truth and and harriet tubman they didn't have all their children in the end they lost their children their children were taken from them uh and, and and sold, all right? So black women have always had to focus on, on trying to keep the family together, trying to feed their families. They could not rely on black men because white men wouldn't let black men do what they needed to do. You know, there, there was lynchings, there were all these different things going on. And so so when we look at, you know, the present with Breonna Taylor, um. And, you know, I, I, you know, Black women have been abused, they've been raped, they've been shot, they've been lynched, and nobody ever talks about the stuff that Black women have gone through. And I think that what Black women are looking at right now is while it's very sad and horrifying that a Black man um, has had a knee put to his neck, um, why is it that people only became interested in Breonna Taylor four months after she died? Isn't her life? Important and worthy of, of Black Lives Matter, you know, and I think that part of it is of society in terms of men are more important than women, but I think that Black women now, as they're organizing, you know, to get uh, to gain political power, um, to do all these great things that they're they're doing right now, I think that that's part of the story that we need to enrich ourselves, we need to empower ourselves because we've been doing it all along without the power. Now we want to we will continue doing what we're doing right now, but we want the power. And we want and we want the power to put the right people in office that are going to do the right thing and if they're not we're going to take them out. We're going to take them down. We're going to get somebody else in there that's going to do what needs to be done. So I think that that I think that that is and it's being done very quietly. It's not something that um people are announcing what they're doing. There's a lot of black women running this year. I think that the dynamics with this uh, Roe versus Wade thing and a couple of other things that have been happening are are, may may actually change to our benefit. We have a beautiful black woman on the Supreme Court, how she got there from how they treated her. Um, They treated her like some kind of mammy slaves animal, the way they interrogated her and tried to tear her down um, because they could. Um, and I think that when Black women see all of that, their perception has changed in terms of how they how they are moving forward.
0: Now, let's move on to dance. What were some of the interesting things you found concerning the dance area in Black women?
1: That was tough. I love dance. Um Dance was, dance was interesting. Dance was fun. Dance was the easiest section for me because you know I wanted to be a dancer, but I was told I was too tall. So that took care of that. Um, and actually, dance was the first section that I wrote, and I became it became personal to me because when I was doing the dance section, I realized that the problems that I had in dance is universal. That all black women are told oh, you can't be a ballet dancer, you know, your hips are too wide, you have too much, your titties are too big, you're too muscular, you know, why don't you do some modern dance stuff? All right, and so, um, and that's when we start getting into how our bodies are, how our bodies are perceived. And I found that, that this negative connotation about Black women's bodies, which also carries into the athlete, af, uh, the sports section, um, is part of what we have to endure. And so, so to me, it was amazing to, it's stuff that, you know, inside of you inner, it's like an inner feeling that you understand, but when you actually see it mapped out in front of you, you're like, wow, that's what it, that's what it is. And so these women who got involved with dance, it was, it was not just about culture. Um, it was also about Black women femininity. And, and that we're beautiful and that our bodies are beautiful. And that when we get on stage, we look beautiful. So I think that that, that, that was the thing that I came away from the dance thing more than anything else is about the inner and outer beauty of Black women dancing and how they've tried for the last several hundred years to bar us from exposing that beauty.
0: And the next section was on sports. And you found so many interesting connections there with the uh, historically Black schools. Tell us about the sports
1: section. I thought that I was up the creek with that one because I'm not a sports fanatic. I thought that that would be, I, 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 I dreaded writing it because I'm not a sports person. But then I, I had a conversation with myself and I said, you know, it's just, it's just about the research and the history. Just go for the, the research and see what you could come up with. And I was pleasantly surprised that I was able to um, build that up. I had two readers, two men, two black men who are sports fanatics. I gave them the section to read and they were just amazed. They was like, oh my God, we didn't know all this stuff. This is great. Does it make sense? Yes, it does. And then I had a sports um, academic woman who specializes in this area. She read it and she pushed me very hard to, um, to, to really build on um, certain areas that, that needed to be like baseball, softball, um, basketball was easy enough because I was, I remember when the WNBA came about, um, and as I was doing the sports section, um, women with black women were making history as, you know, the first black woman, uh, to, to, uh, manage, manage um, a baseball, national baseball um, team, um, first black woman to coach a uh, football team. You know, as I was doing the sports sections, there was some groundbreaking stuff happening at the same time. It was very interesting. Um, I think that the difference between the dancers and the athletes is that um, the athletes, it's it's not just, um, black women's bodies that are de- being debased, but it's also the issue of, 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 of gender. They're questioning, um, they're questioning women's gender. Um, well, does she have a chromosomes are too high in this direction that maybe she's really not a woman, maybe she's a man. So they're doing that. Um, I, I think the perfect example of all this really is um, the tennis player, Serena Williams, who at a who has been the most abused black woman athlete in the history of, of, of sports? They have gone after her, her body. Um, she's ugly, she's an ape, uh, she must be taking some kind of drugs, she must not really be a woman. All these things they keep going after her. Um, but but on and on that bigger level, but a lot of black women do that. When Simone Biles said, I'm mentally exhausted, I can't do this. People picked on her and said, well, you're, you're being selfish, but she already won a gazillion medals. It's almost like, well, we wanna see you perform. And she's like, I can't perform underneath, under this tension, I can't do it. And they said, well, you're not trying hard, hard enough. You just think you, you're all that. It's it's like our bodies, our bodies have become, has have been, it's, it's like consumerism. It's like, you know, the corporations give them money to to, to to do what they need to do, and they to, to brand in terms of branding and all the rest of that. And their bodies, you know, are not theirs anymore. It's about who has control over your body as as a as a, a super athlete, and not being in control of of yourself personally. And so, I think that that part of it um, is very frightening to me. Um, And um, but it was very interesting to see that once again, that black women have risen and and that the black community was always very supportive of black women being in sports. Generally speaking, they didn't want women to be in sports overall. Any women, white women, brown women, green women, purple women, women were not supposed to be athletes, but the black community saw. Black woman athleticism as a, as a means to getting education and getting a chance to see the world. And that's where the HBCUs come in. The HBCUs understood that. And you know, they didn't need to buy equipment for running. All you had to do is have a pair of sneakers and run. So they didn't have to worry about financing you know, a team with, you know, with, with gear and all that. And so they used, the, the HBCUs used uh, sports And for women in particular, running track and field um, where they can excel, it doesn't cost a lot of money, and they can, you know, get out in the world in terms of of the Olympics and all these other organizations that um, had trials and and competitions and whatnot. Now, I
0: thought it was interesting that Black women have been playing golf since the 1930s. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) the golfing they've been playing golf longer than that. They started playing, well, Black women started playing golf. Whenever something, my grandmother used to tell me, and she was from North Carolina, she said, Black people are everywhere. I would be surprised. Ooh, there's a Black person in in this place. she said, Black people are everywhere. Black people have been involved with stuff from the very beginning. That's the thing. We just don't know about it, or we haven't heard about it, or that information has been has been shielded or lost or whatever have you. But Black people have been involved in stuff from the very beginning. I bet you dollars to donuts, if I had an opportunity to spend six months investigating that one specific thing, I'd be able to find some Black women that were playing golf before 1930. I'd be able to find some record of Black women playing before then. All right.
0: Tell us about Lucy Harris-Stewart. That's something people don't know about her draft.
1: Lucy Harris-Stewart. She was...
0: Basketball, she was drafted.
1: Oh, and she became the, um... She became, yeah, she was the first Black woman drafted to the NBA. Is that the you're talking yes, about? Yes, yes. She's still alive. And, you know, I was reading up on her. Um, she is still alive. Um, the reason why she didn't do it was because she got pregnant. And, um but she never regret, she says she never regretted it. You know, um, she, and, and there was like a little documentary done on her. Um, it was like an hour documentary, something of, of, the, of that nature. Um, and, and she's fascinating, but you see the, the gist that I got from her was, was that it was just, it was great, but it was no big thing because there were other things to do. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, she was great at basketball. She loved playing basketball, but she never really considered it as a lifelong thing. And so when she got pregnant, I, I, and between you and me and the four walls, if she hadn't been pregnant, I don't know if they would still let her play, even though they drafted her, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, those are the gems of stories that that I found in putting together this book. These little stories that they, they kind of knit, they're like, it's like, knitting up it's like different stitches of to get to the full scarf or whatever have you all these women doing all these great things you just have to dig hard and you have to know where to look to find them but yeah that's an amazing story and she's I think she's in her 60s or 70s now and she didn't grow up she didn't live like a a, you know she grew up you know she was poor and she didn't have you know you know had kids and all the stuff that life goes into. And she kind of like almost chuckles when she talks about when she played, she loved playing and that it, it even though it was great, what she did was great. It didn't define her. I think that's the thing I'm trying to get to. It didn't define who she was. Mm -hmm. And I think with a lot of these women, they, they don't let, they don't let what they do define who they are. If you know what I mean?
0: Yes. Yes. looking at the entire book and all the messages and all the stories what is the overall message you want to leave the reader with
1: oh well um when i was writing the dance section i kept coming back to myself and 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 the problem that i had in the beginning was that i was talking about they and them but i am they and them i'm a black woman and i can't say they because I am one of them. And so I did something unusual. I broke the fourth wall, so to speak. I, I included, I used my personal, I used the personal in the book. So when I went to Lyle LaFleur, who wrote the uh, forward, and um, Chandra Waring, who wrote the introduction, I said, use yourself an example in the book, because you can't talk about it as them. It's about we, it's about us. It's about who we are. And so I wanted to, to, I thought the personalization of the book was important in order to get the message across in terms of who we are. I don't know, does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. Yes, it does.
1: You know, um, that, that Black women are not just this, this, this um, idea of, uh, of, we're not this idea of what people think, well, we're strong, you know, we're, we're, we're this, we're strong, we're, we're bossy, uh, we're sexy to the point of, you know, be careful because they, you know, they might steal your man kind of sexy, you know, floozies, maids, mammies, all kinds of stuff that they have ideas about who, who Black women can take. We could, we could weigh her down with 10 times the amount of stuff because she can take it because that's how she's built. It, these, all these different ideas of what Black women are supposed to be and in black and women of color in general, but mostly black women, and it's as being something less than what white women are, because of our race, and because of the racism that black women have had to deal with with white women, who say, "Well, we're all women, but you're black, so you know, mm, not so much." We've always been kind of stuck in the middle of of of. of of gender issues between white women and black men and also trying to navigate through uh, being under the thumb of white men. So it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's a dynamic that um, most people, I don't think most people realize, you know. I don't think black women really think about it that much. We're so busy doing stuff. I didn't start thinking about it until I started doing this book. The tremendous strain, the t- tremendous weight that Black women deal with on a day-to-day basis. I didn't realize it because it's, it's, it's part of who I am. And I thought I was the only one.
0: <laughs> now, what are the projects you're working on You know, next? What's your next project?
1: Well, my next project is um, the second, but the, there's the six volumes to this book. We're trying to get this book done as a docu-series. So hopefully that'll happen. We'll know more about that by the end of the summer. Um, we've been pitching it to producers. Um, the second book, the second volume will feature of this book will feature um, visual artists, um, politicians, and um, music uh, composers and songwriters. So that's that's like an interesting uh, group of, of women. Um, when you think about a composer, do you know that black women have been composing uh, classical music for over a hundred years? Wow. Okay. Um, do you know that you know a person like Alisa Keys and Alicia Keys and um, Missy Missy Elliott are they're some of the most profound and prolific um, songwriters uh, of this generation? And more, yes. All right. Um, so you know, you, you, there's there's so many openings. There's so many things in between the things that we know, but we don't understand the extent of what Black women have achieved. You know, um, and 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 in terms of the visual artists, the same thing. And in terms of the politicians, you know, I had to do a whole history of Black people in politics, and I had to go to how slaves built washington dc but they weren't allowed to have access to it all right and from that and being enslaved and fighting to to uh to get to re- to just after the civil war war and the failure of reconstruction that there was a 40-year void where black people weren't in office at all because jim crow and segregation was so successful in doing that and that's what they're trying to do again. They're trying to, they can't stop black people from running, for, for running, but they can try to prevent us from voting. And that's what they're trying to do. They're doing the same thing. It's like Fannie Lou Hamer all over again. Um, I think we're at a crossroads right now. And I think that white folks have to decide, um, they have to decide what kind of America they really want this to be. And they have to decide the people that they put in office, are they, is it to their benefit Or, you know, they're so busy listening to black, white politicians from the South blaming black people for everything that they rather vote for that. Meanwhile, they're not getting nothing out of the deal. They need to start thinking more openly about what it is that they're getting from these politicians, besides agreeing that, you know, black people are the menace of the earth, so to speak, you know. We need to stop them from doing this. We need to stop Black people. Stopping us is, is, is stopping yourselves because it's we the people. And these people want to be in power. And I think that Black women are looking at the power structure and they're challenging it. They're going to the next level. And it's it's going to be very interesting to watch. And and I think that with each book that comes out as I delve into the different areas, you know, I talk about, you know, some of the other books are literature and and singers and black business women women have been doing business since slavery <laughs> you know, they've been, you know um, that people don't are unaware of and as you go through each of these different areas you know women in the sciences women um, you know flying airplanes you know um, all these different things that black women have done that we know bits and pieces about it but when you look at the history all at once it's like it it overwhelms you, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it does. And we're looking forward to all of the books that you're writing and all of the information. But thank you so much for this book, Trailblazers, Black Women Who've Helped Make America Great. And thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Deidre. Thank you so much for everything.